Well, good morning. Oh, I interrupted some of you. Let's try it again. Hey, good morning. All right. That's awesome. Hey, let me tell you a story. So a couple weeks ago, I'm, uh, I'm taking a class up in Eston, Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, and I'm enjoying it. It's really great. And then one evening, I have this funny feeling in my jaw, and it's sort of like my, uh, just the fleshy parts here start to swell, and it gets sort of ridiculous, actually, like swells so much that I'm like, okay, something's not right. So I phone the local health clinic, and they say, well, you're going to have to travel to Kindersley to get a uh, prescription for, for whatever ails you. So I travel up to Kindersley, go to the hospital, get a prescription, and then I end up being sent to the PharmaSave to get my antibiotics. And um, I'm not feeling great. Like, by now, my jaw is really swollen. I look quite, you know, different, and I feel quite different. And I've never had experience quite like this before, and uh, I'm not feeling really great about it. And because I have to go travel away to get everything, I'm, I end up missing about a, pretty much a whole day of classes. And I was really getting a lot out of this class. And I'm, I'm regretting that I'm missing that. So I walk into the save, and the place is dead. There's nobody there uh, in the store, except for at the back, there's a pharmacist. So I go to the back. I give them pr- the prescription. They go back to do their thing. And I'm just standing there all by myself in the save, And that's when I heard an audible voice. And um, this is what the voice said. In 2023, embrace new experiences. You know, the surprising thing about it was not that I heard an audible voice, but that the audible voice sounded exactly like Sharon Church. (laughs) So evidently, they listened to Sharon's radio show out in Kindersley as well. And that was coming through the speaker to me. And I'm like, embrace new experiences. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is hilarious. Here I am having a miserable time. It's a new experience, but it's not one I wanted to embrace. And here's Sharon telling me, in the new year, you know, as sunshiny as she can be, in the new year, embrace new experiences. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you have a sense of humor. So Anyhow, it did cheer me up. It made me laugh quite a bit. And then I just got on my phone and I, I found Sharon's number and I just texted her and I said, I'm in a PharmaSave in Kindersley and I heard your voice and saying embrace new experiences in the new year. And, uh, you know, it just, whatever. It's made me laugh, sent the message off to her. And uh, anyhow, about a minute later, I get a message back says, who are you? <laughs> So she didn't have my contact info in her phone. <laughs> so now you know I'm a bigger Sharon Church fan than she is a Pastor Steve fan. So, <laughs> so it's humbling in so many different ways. Anyhow, we did finally clarify. And, uh, but uh, that's not exactly what I'm talking about when we're talking about hearing God. This series is all about hearing God. Uh, maybe God used that in a way, um, but uh, that's not the audible voice of God. It was uh, definitely Sharon's. Um, but you know, an interesting add-on to that, uh, so I did my week of antibiotics, swelling went down. I'm the kind of guy who, once I forget feeling better, I forget, you know, and, I, and uh, so then a few days later after my antibiotics were done, swelling started to come back. It's like, oh, no, no, no. So I'm, I'm on my second round and, uh, of antibiotics. And so la- last week when we did, so after the service, we have like a soup and bun lunch. You're, anyone's welcome to come to it. And basically there, we practice hearing God. We just, um, Laura Blackman gives us some incredible great exercises to do. Um, we, we read the Bible. We listen. We ask God questions. We pray for each other. It's awesome. Uh, last week, it was like, do you have a question you're asking God? And I was like, yeah, I do have a question I'm asking God. And the question was, why am I still sick? Or why am I still infected or whatever. And I did find out this week it's an abscessed tooth. So what, anyhow, that's another thing. But that was my question. Why am I still sick? And so I was asking that of the Lord and writing down some of the thoughts that came to my mind. And then we were invited to do this in a group. So I was with two other guys. And uh, so I said, well, my question is, why am I still sick? And so they, they, they prayed, Lord, what do you want to say to Steve? And then they just paused. And then they were like, shared whatever came to their mind, right? Again, it's wide open hands, right? It's not like, you know, what they say for sure is God speaking to me. It's just like you have to discern still. 
So this, and, and the one guy said, uh, because God's not done. And I thought, yeah, I think that resonates with me. I think there's some things he can say to me when I'm sick that I won't hear when I'm on top of the world. Like when everything's going hunky-dory for me, I'm not as receptive in some certain ways. And I thought, yeah, I think God wants to speak to me while I'm, while I'm sick. Anyhow, that's, that's that story. I'm just telling you the extended version of it. But, but God does want to speak to us today. And many of you have had experiences with this. In fact, I'd love to share an experience with, uh, from Doug Sigelko's uh, repertoire of many, many, many stories. I, I know Doug very well, and we've talked lots about times where he, God spoke to him. But he, he recorded a story for us to this, this week, and I wanted to share it with you today. So let's watch this. I'd like to share with you a time when the Lord spoke into my heart. I heard from God, and it was so amazing. Uh, in 1980, my wife and our three children moved to Guatemala City. Travel to a different country as a tourist, it's quite simple to get a visa. Usually in the airport, they'll give you a visa. They'll give you a, uh, a few weeks time. Uh, the moment you decide you want to live in another country, the whole thing changes. So we had been in Guatemala for six months and we had a visa for that and we had to renew the visa and all of a sudden I began to realize this is not a simple, simple thing. We had to do all kinds of paperwork and you had to turn it in and in those days they were only giving Canadians a visa for six months at a time. And I would get so uptight and nervous every time I would have to go in and try to apply for an extension on my visa. Uh, I knew of people who didn't get a visa, and I was thinking, what would I do as I would hand in my papers? If they say no, I've got all my belongings and my family are here, and what are we going to do if they say no? And it was, uh, it was just terrible. A few days or weeks before having to renew my visa, I, it would upset me, and I would be praying about it and everything, but I was always nervous, and, and it was just a stress. And when the visa would be, come out, I would be so excited. Ah, don't have to worry about this for another six months. One day, I was standing in line in the immigration. It was a big room. There was a lot of activity going on. And uh, standing in line, I had my papers in my hands, my passports, and as nervous as can be, just all tied up in knots. And the Lord spoke to me. He dropped this right into my heart. It wasn't an audible voice, but he said, Doug, you're going to have a visa to live in this country as long as I want you here, not as long as they want you here. <laughs> it, it was incredible. Uh, I just had such a relief and just a, a peace. And I said, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I went and handed in my paperwork, and the nervousness and the worry was gone. And from that time on, every time, oh, I still had to jump through hoops. I had to get paper and this and that and turn it in. But it was just like, hey, it, they really have no control over me. The Lord has control over me. He told me that. He dropped that into my heart. I pray that you'll hear God's voice. And he will make a change in your life, even as he did in mine. Isn't that a great story? You know, we said a couple weeks ago, we said, why do we need to hear from God? Well, there's a couple of reasons we gave at that time. I mean, there's lots of reasons we give, but I give you two very simple ones. And they're both relational. Why do you need to hear from God? So he can be your father. He wants to be a good, good father in your life. And so there's words of affirmation. There's words of encouragement, just like Doug received. And he wants to, you know, so Doug was dealing with anxiety again and again and again, and God just came in with a word to comfort and to take away that anxiety out of his, out of his life. So he's, got, he's that good. So we want to hear from God because we want him to be able to father us. We want him to be able to speak to situations in our lives where we need his fathering. But the other thing is, he's not just a father to us, he's our Lord and our King. And so we, we want to be able to hear from God so he can guide and direct us like a good king would. Again, kings today don't really have any power, but in the old days, they had, they were, had all power, really, and they, had, they would guide and direct. And if you had a good king, their, their guidance and their direction was, was, was for your good. And uh, the Bible says he is our king, so... We want that. And that's mainly what I want to talk about today is the guidance and direction piece. Um, Psalm uh, 32 and verse 8 says it this way. I will instruct you and teach you 
in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. So this is pretty incredible. I mean, it's pretty incredible that God would choose to direct us, that we could go to God and ask him to give us direction in our lives and that he would instruct us and that he would teach us and that he would counsel us in the way we should go with his loving eye upon us. Isn't that great? That phrase I've almost never heard in any other context, with his loving eye upon us. So God is, is, uh, is beaming love towards you 24-7 uh, should you choose to accept it, should you choose to open yourself up to it. And he also wants to instruct you and teach you and counsel you in the way you should go. It's pretty awesome. Now, in the Old Testament, this was, you know, it's funny because I often thought of like in the times before Jesus came, that's what we call the Old Testament, which is... Uh, a big chunk of the Bible, that people didn't really have much communication with God. And there was some limitations in some ways because of people's sin. Jesus hadn't come yet, lots of stuff. But I I find this surprising, actually. There's this, I didn't learn, even I went to school, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid, and I think we had a pretty good Sunday school, but I never really saw this until I was an adult. Exodus 33, 7, let me read it to you. It says, now Moses used to take a tent, and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So this is, now some people say, well, well, yeah, I remember that there's a big tent called the tabernacle. Yeah, there was an elaborate, uh, really impressive tent that you could put up and take down because the Israelites were on their way to where Israel is today. But they hadn't got there yet, so they were a moving nation, and so they would need to, you know, pick up everything and go. And so they, God gave them designs for this elaborate tent called the tabernacle. But even before the tabernacle was built, Moses had this tent at the edge of the camp. Now, it doesn't tell us anything about the tent. Was it like a two-man, a four-man? I don't know. Was it huge? It's probably bigger than that. But it was a place where people could go and inquire of the Lord. What does that mean? To ask God questions. God, would you help me in this area of my life? Would you tell me what to do? Would you give me direction? So anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. So later on, they used the term tent of meeting to describe the tabernacle because this new one that God designed replaced the old one. But even when they didn't have that new one, it was important for them to have a place. Do you have a spot you can go? Do you have a tent of meeting? Maybe it's not a literal tent, but do you have a a place you can go and meet with God? Do you have a place where you can regularly go and maybe read the Bible and pray and ask God questions? Maybe it's a room in your home, or maybe it's uh, a chair. You know, your your Bible's right next to it or whatever, but you have a spot. Um, Maybe it's your truck. You sit in your truck just the last 20 minutes before you go in for work and you do your devotions. Uh, Maybe it's a restaurant. You like to get into just that space and, and spend some time with God. I don't know where it is. But you, I mean, obviously, you can talk to God anywhere. But you can also be distracted anywhere. Have you noticed? And so this was a practice, a place where you could give your attention to God, a dedicated spot to read the Bible, to pray, to inquire of the Lord, ask God, and then listen. If God was going to prompt you with any sort of response, you'd give him your attention. In the New Testament, it's it's very similar. James 1 to 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. How many of you you would say there are times in your life where you've you've lacked wisdom? Just hold those hands up. If If you're sitting beside a person like that, just turn to them right now and just say, Well, you should ask the Lord. (laughs) And then you can just turn right back to them and say, well, you should have been honest and put your hand up too. (laughs) We all lack wisdom. We all lack wisdom in certain areas of our lives. But it's just very straightforward. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God. You should ask God. You should ask him. Lord, I don't know what to do with my, in my marriage. I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do in my career. I don't know what to do with our finances. I don't know what to do uh, with this calamity that's come into our family. I don't know what to do with this broken relationship. I don't know what to do. 
You should ask God. You should inquire of the Lord. You should ask God for wisdom who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. What an incredible promise. Incredible promise. So if God is willing to direct us, how eager should we be to be directed? I mean, Sarah Reimer was speaking last week. She did an incredible job. She said, I love this line, he wants us to want to hear. He's willing to direct us. He wants to direct us. But the holdup is our willingness to be directed. He wants to direct us more than we want to be directed. So do you want to be directed? Do you want God to lead you like a father, to lead you uh, like a king? Do you want to hear? Isaiah 30, 21 says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Can you imagine God guiding you that specifically in your life? To say, this is, this, this is the choice. This is the way. So do we want God's guidance? Well, I, that's really what I want to talk about today is just how to receive and obey God's guidance in your life. So just a few things that will help us with this. The first one is we need to submit to God's will. If you want to hear God's voice in your life more, then we need to start with a posture of submission to him. Sarah had a great story last week how uh, they were doing some uh, sort of seeking the Lord. Her son was seeking to hear God. But then mom and dad asked their son and just said, well, but if God gives you an answer, tells you what you need to do, are you willing to do that? And the kid was honest and just said, no. I mean, kids are often more honest than parents or adults when it comes to these things. No. And so it's like, I think that's where you need to begin. Do you really want to be guided by God? So ask God to search your heart in this regard. I mean, our own hearts deceive us. And so we need God to, to shine a light on our, our, our willingness, our openness. Do we really want him to function as our, our father? Do we really want him to function as our Lord and our king? Do we want his plan for our lives? Do we want his will to be done? Do we want his kingdom to come in and through us? So if you want a life where you sense and receive direction more frequently, then you need to submit your agenda to his. Um, when I was in high, one of the, my favorite things I did in high school was I played high school football. And um, I didn't sign up to play high school football because I love wind sprints or because I love mountain climbers or because I love endless tackling drills until you almost puke. I didn't sign up for, for those things. I signed up so I could be a total stud on game day. <laughs> I'm not saying I was a total stud on game day. I'm saying that was my, the dream. That was what I signed up for. And so I submitted myself to the discipline of my coaches so that they would see that they should put me in when it was game time. When the game was on the line, I wanted to be on the field. So I didn't love all the stuff that led up to that, but I did love what their discipline produced, the opportunity to play at a high level or a higher level than I'd ever played before. And I think that's a lot of the us in our life with God, too, is like, well, I don't know if I want, what's God going to ask me to do? Is it going to be hard? Is it going to be difficult? Am I going to be unpleasant? Are going to be things I don't want to do? Well, probably there's, that'll be part of the picture, some of it. But if that's all you're looking at, it, you're forgetting about the fact that, what about experiencing all that God wants for you? What about experiencing all that he can do in your life? What about being vitally engaged in things that really matter? So we need to submit to God's will if we want his direction. But we, part of it is trusting that his direction is good. That when he says, uh, this is what I want you to do, like the verse we read, this is the way, walk in it, that that'll lead to blessing, that'll lead to good things. Uh, that'll lead to joy for us eternally, and it'll lead to joy for others eternally as well. So it starts with submitting to God's will. And then once we've done that, again, ever so simple that I said it that way, as we're doing that, then be open to receive a prompting from God. 
Okay? Part of it comes from inquiring of the Lord, asking him for wisdom. After you've done that, don't just run out of the, run out of the room and get on with your day. Pause and listen. You might have a nudge towards a certain direction or an impression that God wants you to do something or a sense of guidance. So you've, you've inquired of the Lord. You've asked God for wisdom. You believe he wants to direct you more than you want to be directed. You believe he wants to guide you. He, and he will. He'll guide you in his timing and his, in his way. So some might say, well, you know what? I don't know if you need to ask God for all those things, you know, get directions from God. I think you can just pretty much figure it out on your own. I mean, like, maybe a door of opportunity opens, and so you just go through it. Or a door of opportunity closes, so you'll know that that's not, you're not supposed to do that. And uh, I have heard that kind of teaching before, like sort of open door theology, closed door theology. Like if a door is open, that must be God. But then I read stories in the Bible like this one. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Uh, They're in jail in a town called Philippi. And uh, they're worshiping God. But the doors are closed. The doors are closed. Oh, well, God must not want them to walk through those doors because he's closed them. Well, let's see what happens. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundation, so, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Oh, so maybe God had intended for them to walk through those doors. You know, so sometimes you encounter like a closed door. Like you say, well, this just doesn't seem like this is the opportunity. There just seems like there's, there's no opportunity here. There's something. And, and it's like, oh, well, I guess I'll just give up on that. Sometimes God wants you to pray until that door opens. Persevere until that door opens. Stick around trusting him long enough till the door opens. So now, okay, well, okay, I get where the story goes from here, right? The doors are open. So now, obviously, they're going to walk through those open doors, aren't they? Not necessarily. It says, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open... He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Because obviously, they would, right? The doors are open. They're going to all go. Except for, Paul shouted and said, don't harm yourself, we're all here. What? The doors are open. They didn't walk through these open doors? Crazy. Crazy. Why? No, I don't know. I think there's something missing in the story I'd really like to know so I could share it with you here. But for some reason, Paul and Silas didn't lead, and I think the Holy Spirit was in it. Because here's a jailer about to commit suicide. He's going to take his life because he might lose his life later anyhow for failing to keep the prisoners in. But Paul and Silas don't go through the doors because God has something yet to do in that prison. So the jailer calls for the lights, he rushes in, he falls trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all those others in the house. And at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So, an open door they didn't go through because God had something yet to do in the prison. I think of that in my own life. I had an experience uh, years ago. It's actually how I came to Moose Jaw. Um, when I was, it was 1998, Marnie and I were just freshly engaged. And we had an invitation from Pastor Alan Buchanan to come and consider becoming the youth pastors here in Moose Jaw at Hillcrest. And uh, a really awesome youth pastor named Rob Chartrand had just finished his, his uh, time here and was moving on. And so would we come and pick up where he left off? So we came and we met with Alan and it was sort of a really attractive uh, circumstances for our, I mean, opportunity for us. It was an open door. Uh, and uh, where I was at the time, I was up in Nippon, and uh, I was in a church that was in high conflict. We'd been in high conflict for almost three years at that point, and uh, leaders were quitting all over the place, and it was very discouraging, and I was very discouraged, and I was like, wow, 
here's this open door to go to a church with stability, good leadership. Uh, I didn't have a senior pastor up there. I was sort of fighting battles on my own as a youth pastor. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord, that me and my soon-to-be wife are going to start fresh in a very healthy church and not start in a war zone. So I went home and I said to the Lord, well, guide me, direct me. You're my Lord and King. So I prayed about it and I thought, well, how would I know to make such a significant move? Because I've already invested, um, it was about three or four years into this church. And for me to shift now, would be a significant thing. So I want to, you know, I mean, I'm actually really hoping that this happens because it lets me, lets me out of all this pressure and all this conflict. And so I read the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, I knew that God directed people a lot of times. And so I read it and I read um, about there's a dream that Paul has and a man from Macedonia, or Peter has, then a man from Macedonia says, come over and help us. And so I thought, Lord, if you will put a man from Moose Jaw in my dreams, saying, come over and help us, then I'll go. And then I read another one. It was like um, very close to that story. It's like Peter needed direction. And so God took this sheet and he had all these animals, which the Jewish people would have considered unclean, like, you know, octopus and pigs and stuff. And it got lowered down, and, uh, and that was another sign for him to go and help people who weren't Jewish. And so I was like, Lord, I would also take an, a vision of a sheet being lowered down, and maybe there's moose meat in it or something, but something that would tell me I'm supposed to go to moose jaw. <laughs> Lord, I'll take anything. And so I read the whole book of Acts, and every time I saw that God directed people, I said, I'll take that. I'll do that. I'll, if you see, give me one of those, I'll take one of those. Anything in here. Now, they're pretty much all pretty supernatural, amazing things. And I think last week when you heard Sarah um, teach last week, she really did a good job of saying that a lot of these supernatural ways of direction, they're more rare, right? Like audible voice or an angel showing up to speak to you or like a donkey talking to you. That was one of the craziest ones, right? The donkey talking to you. So we're like, oh, man, I love it if a donkey would talk to me. Like that was because the guy who was riding the donkey was being a donkey, right? That's why, like, so sometimes we're like, man, I love the supernatural experience with God. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's not always a sign that, you know, you're God's favorite or something. Sometimes it's because you're in the wrong place and God needs to get your attention in a really shocking way. So I I was probably a little bit more naive then too, looking for something super supernatural. But really, most of the direction I've gotten in my life has been just sort of a nudge or a prompting or I have a thought and I think, well, that's probably not me. And, and, you know, I followed that down the trail. Anyhow, I didn't get anything from God that sort of felt to me like a release to leave Nippon. And so, in the end, I stayed. And soon we were married. Marty joined me in Nippon, and we're back in the trenches. And it was like about a year, maybe, maybe two, I'm not sure if I know the timeline exactly, where I went to a conference, and I ran into a guy from this church named Scott Francis. And Scott Francis said to me, he said, I am so glad you didn't take the job at Hillcrest. I said, why? He goes, because I took the job at Hillcrest, and it's awesome. (laughs) And so in my heart of hearts, I said, thank you, Lord, that Scott is having so much fun and that he's being blessed so much. The end of the story was this, basically. God turned the scenario in Nippon around. It took a while. It took some tough slugging. It took getting some new leaders into positions. And some of the people who were causing the biggest amount of trouble, some of them moved on. Some of them sort of repented and changed their ways. And, and we saw a brand new day in that church. And so it took us a little while, but then suddenly uh, Marnie and I were experiencing the favor of God in that community. We had the favor of all the different churches in town. We were the only youth pastors in town. Every church was sending us their youth because of what God was doing. We would go to the the only fast food restaurant in town, the Dairy Queen, and we would just high-five our way around the tables because God had given us favor in that community. And it was an amazing turnaround. It was the, the, you know, to use a Hillcrest uh, image that you know, maybe the, the clouds parted and the, the sun shone through. And I would never have experienced that if I'd left when I was desperate to leave. So eight years into our time there, I get a phone call, or it's an answering machine message. It's from Ken Stackrock. Uh, well, we are looking for another, we're looking for a youth pastor again. And uh, 
remember we walk into our nice little house and in our in our nice little home, you know community where we love everybody and everybody loves us and and I was like hey it's Hillcrest again and uh, Marnie says what you gonna do I said oh phone and tell them we're not interested and uh, she's like well you're gonna pray about it first right I'm like yeah I'll pray about it and then I'll phone and tell them I'm not interested because things had changed, and we were living the best life, and it was awesome, and we had so many friends, and we loved it there, and we were ready to buy grave plots right next to each other, and that was it. It's like everything was good. God had done an amazing turnaround. Why would we leave this? So anyhow, um, I get, the, the only thing is, a, day, a few days before this message came from Kent, Marty and I had actually sat down, and we said, well, how do you think God wants us to grow, and how do you think... God wants us to develop as leaders and all these different things. And so we wrote a list. And we wrote out this list of all these ways we thought God wants to grow. And then we were sort of stumped at the end. How are we going to do this stuff? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We had lots of I don't knows about the list. So we just left the list on the coffee table. So anyhow, I phoned Kent back after some quick prayer. Lord, should we go? Oh, I'm not listening. Okay, phone. And I get Kent on the phone. And, and uh, he says, okay, well, let me describe the scenario of what it would be like if you came to Hillcrest. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. You know, of course, I'm going to let him down easy at the end because I like Kent. And, but the answer is already a no in my heart. And so he says, well, you know, if you're part of this, you'd, you know, part of it would be developing things in this way. And I was like, Wait, that's on my list. Okay. And then also, you know, we're looking for someone who can grow in these areas. I'm like, that's on my list. And then Kent, not knowing this, proceeded to basically read through my list over the phone. So then Marnie comes back into the picture, and she's like, how'd the call with Hillcrest go? And I'm like, we really need to consider this. Like, what? We have all our friends. We have our life, our house, everything's, we've got our life all tickety-boo, and now God wants us to... And it became clear to us over time that God wants us to go. So I went to Hillcrest. <laughs> but God wanted to do good things here through Scott Francis and through and, and he did. He did incredible things here. God wanted to do good things in Nippon. God knows how to move the chess pieces on the board. Way better than we can move them. I mean, he's playing what? One billion moves ahead? Or one infinite moves ahead? <laughs> and we're thinking one move ahead? So, receive a prompting. Now, what do you do once you've received a prompt- prompting? What do, you, what do you do with that? Well, you've got to process it. Now, you might s- sense, like, oh, I think God wants me to do this. And you might say, oh, good, I'm good. I'm just going to run on with it. I, I would encourage you, to look for confirmation. Look for confirmation in your life. What does that, what does it mean like? What does that mean, confirmation? Um, and why confirmation? It's because you can be wrong. You can be wrong. I think we should all admit that. Even if you ask sincerely for God to direct you and you have some sort of thought come to your mind, you could be wrong about that. And so that's where there's, it's wise to look for confirmation in your life. Now, if this is like, if you prayed about God, should I wear the Dark blue shirt this morning or the light blue shirt? I don't think you need confirmation. Actually, I don't even think you need to pray about it. Just pick a shirt. But the more serious the consequences of getting a decision wrong, the more you need to seek the Lord, to ask for wisdom, and to get confirmation. Right? You need, you need more if it's a very serious question. So what would be an example of something uh, like that level? Like, who should I marry is that level, right? Should I quit this job and go start a whole new career? That's pretty big, right? These are some of the questions. Should I just uproot my family and go off to this other community? Those are big questions. I think you should ask God for wisdom. I Be open to his direction. And if you get some sort of word in that rate, look for confirmation. So what are some of the things that confirm it for us? Well, first... Make sure it doesn't violate the principles of scripture. Scripture, sorry. Doesn't make sure it doesn't violate the principles of scripture. So let's say um, my son comes to me and says, "Yeah, Dad, I love Jesus and I just want to serve Him with all my heart. I also love this girl who hates Jesus and doesn't want to serve Him at all. I'm thinking of marrying her." Well, let's look at some scriptures, son. 
Let's talk about what God's already revealed about how to walk out a life as a disciple of Jesus. Those would be good things. You could go, go to Scripture and see what it says, right? If I felt a prompting in my heart, Lord, I just, you know, I saw this other woman. I, I think I want to be married to her. And I ask you, hey, can you give me some advice on this? I hope you'll say, Steve, let's look at the Scriptures. Let's look at what it says. It's already, there's things already there where you can go, hey, this is violating what Scripture teaches, right? So don't, we do have a temptation. Our hearts can deceive us, and we can be influenced to, to just stamp God's name on something that's our own agenda. And checking with Scripture is one way that um, we can have that corrected in our lives. The more you're into Scripture, that's why when we do a Hearing God series, we encourage people to be reading the Bible. I think some people think that it's like, oh yeah, man, if I could hear God, I'd have this hotline to heaven, and I don't need anything else. Eh, that's not how it goes. The more you're reading the Scripture, the more those you're, you're going to be able to discern, is that God speaking, or is that just my own uh, desire that maybe is contrary to what God wants? So does it violate Scripture? That's one of the best things. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10 tells us our condition. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. Who can know it? He can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Not just our hearts, but our minds. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Our hearts, which is the seed of your will and your emotions, can be deceived. So it's easy for us to say, God told me, but it's really just my own desire. Or I must do this, but it might just be a deep-seated compulsion or fear that's driving you, not from God. So if your heart could be deceived and your mind could be influenced, you need the Word of God. That's the first one. Here's another sort of confirmation pieces. Reflect on the tone of the message. Reflect on the tone of the message. And Sarah touched on this last week, but I want to bring it back because it's just important. James 3.17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, so you've asked God for wisdom, what's it going to sound like? The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So if you have something that sounds contrary to that, you should question it, right? I, I told this, uh, I've told this story before. Um, it's, it's part of Steve's top 10 shameful hits. Uh, I have lots of sinful stories. Here's one of mine. I'm wor- I was working on a, uh, a message for Sunday morning. It was back in the days when I was a youth pastor, and I didn't preach or speak to the congregation very often, and so it was a big privilege to be able to do this, and Pastor Allen had asked me to. I was working on it, and I got a phone call. I had a side hustle at the time where I would go out and uh, work for a caterer, and I got an opportunity to go catering that night. And uh, so I got off the phone, and I hadn't given them an answer. I said, I'll think about it. And, I got, and my wife said, what's that about? Well, I got a call from the caterer. And she said, well, don't you have a, aren't you working on a message for Sunday? I was like, yeah. And I said, but I'm, I'm going to think about it. She's like, oh, really? Yeah. I, I'm going to go outside. I'll go for a prayer walk around the block and try to, you know, ask God. Anyhow, I walked outside. I don't know if I got 10 steps, and suddenly... I was just gripped with this fear and uh, just about finances. And uh, it gripped me just so tight, and I was like, I just walked back in the house. And my, my wife was like, whoa, you're back. I said, yeah, I'm going to go do a shift tonight. She's like, well, you, you're speaking on Sunday morning, and you're not going to have time to prepare. I said, I have to go. And I went, and I worked a shift, made some money. And uh, then Sunday I got up and didn't sound very intelligent or put together, and it wasn't very good. And then Tuesday, we had a staff meeting, and staff members were saying, hey, what happened on Sunday? And I had to confess what happened. And someone asked me, why did you make that decision? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. So there's something wrong inside of me. There was something wrong inside of me. I felt this fear about finances. I tell the whole story in the Set Free Retreat. We're doing one in March this year. I tell you how God liberated me and set me free from that uh, panicky part of me that was all uh, in knots about finances because of my childhood. I tell that whole story. But you might be in a very similar situation where it's like, like I didn't even get to praying that day because this thing had such a grip on me, on me. So you might be feeling like, oh, I have to do this. Why do you have to do that? Well, I, I have to. Like there's some, a panic or a compulsion within you that draws you to do things that aren't the best choices. So, 
that's part of that. Reflecting on what's speaking into your, what's the tone of the message? So, you, so I should have, if you'd asked me that question that day, well, what's the tone of the message you're getting? It's fear. It's like the wolf is always at the door and we'll never have enough. And if I don't go to work, we won't be able to make ends meet. And that was the tone. If I'd asked that question or someone asked me that question, I would have had to honestly say, well, this is not like God speaking, like his voice would be to really guide me. This is just something that doesn't sound like God. The tone doesn't match. So listen for that. Listen for the tone of, of the message. Jesus, he leads like a shepherd. Now, the enemy drives the flock, <laughs> scatters the flock. But Jesus draws us. He'll point out sin in our lives, but he does it with conviction and, and hope and love. And when Jesus um, confronts, confronts sin in our lives, he's also inviting us into a closer relationship with him as his child. When the enemy points out sin in our lives, he does it with condemnation and discouragement, so you'll give up. That's a different tone. One has hope attached because we know how good God is, but the other one offers no hope. So if you feel driven or panicky like I did, then it's probably not God. Or maybe there's something wrong in your understanding of the God of the Bible who calls us to repent of our sin and at the same time calls us into a closer relationship with him. Here's another one that might help you. Ask if a word is reoccurring. Ask yourself, is this word reoccurring? Does it keep coming back? Like, if God's got something that he wants you to do and guide you in, then it's probably probable that if you don't do it, he'll bring it back. He'll bring it back. Uh, and this isn't necessary always in the little areas, but probably in the bigger decisions. There's a story of Samuel in the Old Testament. He's a little boy. He's living in the temple, and Eli the priest is sort of his mentor and guide. And he hears his voice, Samuel, Samuel. And he thinks, well, that must be Eli. He goes to Eli, and Eli's sleeping, wakes him up, and he's like, you called me. And, Sa- and Eli's like, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes and hears it again. Comes back, you called me. He's like, no, I didn't call you. Anyhow, so Eli sort of perks up and goes, Okay, next time you hear that, says, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, because I don't think it's, I think it's God speaking to you. All right, so this older mentor gives him wise advice, and then Samuel, next time he hears this voice, he responds, speak, Lord, your servant hears, and then God speaks to him. Incredible download. So if you hear a repetitive something in your life, pay attention to that. Right? Pay attention. Maybe God is, is giving you a reoccurring impression. You have a prompting that doesn't go away. It lasts. You're still thinking about it. It's like God is saying it again and again, and maybe he's just trying to get your attention in a certain area of your life. Another thing you can do is ask for confirmation in your Bible reading. So you say, well, God, it seems like this big, important decision. It seems like I'm getting a bit of a prompting to go this certain way. Can you give me a prompting in my, my Bible reading? And uh, God's done that for me, and he's done that for other people as well. Here's, this is huge, this is huge, this is huge, especially for North Americans who resist this at the core of our beings. Receive wise advice or counsel. Well, let me read a scripture verse, and then I'll come back to our North American problem. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The wise listen to advice. You want to be wise? Listen to advice. There's so many topics we should be listening to advice about, right? Obviously, I've mentioned a bunch of them. Marriage, right? I remember when I was really close, almost, you know, to the point of saying, I'm ready to ask this girl to marry me. And my parents, uh, I was chatting with my parents, and I said, Mom, Dad, I haven't got your feedback on Marnie. Like, I really like this girl, but I could be love blind and not know. I might not be, I might be missing something. Maybe there's a big red flags I'm not seeing. She might be an axe murderer, and I don't know. You have to be a certain age to fully appreciate that joke. Or watch Mike Myers movies, either way. So, I was like, would you make an... And they said, well, we don't know her very well. I said, would you make an effort to get to know her and her family, and then give me a scouting report? Like, am I making a bad decision? I want your advice. Let me ask you this. How many of you... Okay, how many of you in the room have been married at any point in your life? Okay. Now put those hands down. 
Of those of you who've been married, I'm probably like, how many of you asked your parents what their opinion of the person you were going to marry was before you married them? Not as many. <laughs> Why? Who knows you better than your mom and dad? Now, okay, there could be lots of reasons. Maybe say, you don't know my parents or, you know, whatever. That's fair. That's fair. I'm sure there are legitimate reasons. But I want to tell you, it's a North American problem because we, we've been groomed. Our whole lives we've been groomed on the rugged individualist, the person who doesn't need nobody. And that's why they're epic. And that's why I'm talking in my movie voice, Right? <laughs> Because, wow, if I was only like that person that never needs advice and always knows what to do and can do it on their own, that's what we've been groomed on. We've, we've, we've grown up on that. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Because the wise ask for advice. I, I told this story a few years ago. I was going to the gym and uh, Yara Center, that, that gym there, and there's a, a guy from India, and he was new to Moose Jaw, and we often worked out at the same time. And so I am a rugged individualist, and he's from a communal culture. And you know what happened every time we worked out? He'd ask me questions. How does this work? Tell me about this. What is your opinion about this? At the beginning of the year, I was like, man, I love working out with this guy. I feel so smart. By the end of the year, he'd asked a thousand questions, and he'd learn stuff. I'd ask very few questions, and he'd learn jack squat. And at the end of the year, I thought, no, this guy's smart, not me. This guy's smart because he's the wise. He's asking for advice. He's learning, 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 learning. But that's just, it's a communal expectation. In an individualistic culture, it's like, well, no, I, I got it together. No, I got it together. You are falling apart on the inside, but you got it together out front. Not helping us. So we should be asking for advice. By the way, my parents got back to me. They did the scouting trip, trip in Regina. They phoned me up. And, and I was like, what do you think? And they're like, how did you get her? <laughs> Seriously, we never thought you'd do this good. <laughs> of all our boys, you were the one we were worried about. <laughs> Marry her quick before she gets a little older and wiser herself because you'll never catch her in a couple of years. Great advice. <laughs> so... What about parenting? You need basic strategies for parenting. Anyone have a kid and you figured out how to parent them and then God threw you a curveball with the second kid? Anyone? That happened? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that kid here today and you're still raising your hand? Because you're like, it's just true. It's just true. Wow. You need help. You need strategies. You need different strategies probably for different kids. Ask. Ask. I see it lots of times. I see, I see parents floundering, and I, I feel like, oh, here in Canada, I can't help you. It's against the laws. And you can't ask me for help because it's against your wiring. And so we struggle. I'm struggling with these pages. There we go. So ask for advice. So who should I ask? Ask your parents. Ask your grandparents. Ask your spouse. Ask your adult kids. Ask experienced believers, ask professionals, ask doctors, lawyers, police officers, teachers, counselors. Our North American infatuation with the myth of the rugged individualist is not helping us. We need humility and the teachability to ask. Ask others to pray for you and get back to you for what they heard from God. This is a big one. Pick people who love God. They're wise. They have a track record of consistently hearing from God. People who won't make it up, that's a big one. This whole hearing God thing, it's actually predicated on the fact you won't make it up. So when I, I've done some training on this, I, off, I didn't do it so much this year, but most times when we're doing training, I tell them the first win is this, that if you pray and you ask God to give you wisdom or some sort of direction and you get nothing, like nothing comes to mind, the first win is that you acknowledge that. So, yeah, you prayed and you asked God, what'd you get? Nothing. Woo, 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 woo. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Because you were honest, and that means you're a high probability you'll heal from God in the future. Because <laughs> you didn't make it up. When trying to make God look good, you don't need to do that, by the way. God can defend himself. 
Right? You never need to do that. I mean, unless you don't believe in him or something. If you believe in God, you never need to defend what he can do. He'll defend himself, right? Don't need to make it up for God. Don't do that. That's a form of disbelief. So I, I had a great experience in a way. It wasn't great initially. So I went away to this conference, and it was all about listening prayer and hearing God. And I, I remember I was partnered up with a guy, and we did this prayer exercise together, and we were listening, just sort of, you know, again, and something came to my mind, and I wrote it down, and then it was time to share, and I said, what did you get? And the guy said, nothing. I don't know if it worked for me or not. And I said, oh, wow, I got this. And so I shared with him, and I felt 10 feet tall. I was like, wow, that guy got nothing. I got, ah, it was awesome. I came back to my team here, and I said, hey, let's do a listening prayer exercise. And I'm thinking, I got it. It's already working for me. This will be awesome. So I asked our team, I said, let's just, we'll look at some scripture or do some, a question of the Lord, and we'll ask, and we'll listen. And we did. And guess what? I got nothing. I was like, oh, this is embarrassing. I'm just introducing this to my team, and I got nothing. And so I thought, oh, man, well, then probably no one will get anyone, anything because, like, I'm the leader here, right? And then people who are on the team who I didn't expect would get something. They said, oh, I got something, and they shared. And I was like, hey, I'm the leader. And I was like, oh, right, 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 right. God wants to speak to people on the basis that they are his sheep, not on the basis that they're the boss or the leader or anything. He wants to flatten this thing right out. He doesn't want a few, just a few who can hear his voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's just, this is for all believers. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for all of you. This isn't just for a few. And I thought that day, I thought, wow, that was great strategy, God, after it was all said and done. For me to introduce this idea and then for me to get nothing, that was great. It was great you didn't speak to me. Because then I encouraged everybody else. Now they're all thinking, yeah, that's Steve guy. I don't know if he's connected to God very well, but I sure am. <laughs> what a great shot in the arm for the other people in the room. I mean, hopefully it's not always thought like that, but hey, it's awesome. Ask others to pray for you and get back to you with what they've heard from God. Other people can hear from God. Ask them. And see if circumstances point in the same direction as what you heard. All right, one last story here I'm going to share. When I was in my late 30s, so I was like, I think I was 39, maybe 38, I'm not sure. But I, I was asking the Lord this question. I was inquiring of the Lord. I said, Lord, what do you want to do in my life before I turn 40? And uh, some ideas came to me, and I just jotted them out. One of the ideas that came to me just seemed sort of almost random. It was like, go to Africa. So I wrote it on the whiteboard in my little office at home. My wife comes into the room. She's like, you're going to Africa? I'm like, I was praying about it, and I just wrote it up there. She goes, how much does that cost? I said, no idea. How are we going to get the money? No idea. She's like, okay. So then we go to a conference. It's like a pastor's conference, and there's a guy speaking through the weekend. He gets to the last message, and he says, before I do this, before I speak the one last time, he says, I feel like I need to say something. And so he walks down from where he's standing to right in front of Marnie and I, and he says, I just feel like I need to say something to you. Um, do you have a financial need in your life? And I was like, this in front of a whole bunch of people, and I felt like, well, oh, this is a little weird. So I was just sort of like made a joke of it. I said, yeah, we need a new minivan because we did need a new minivan. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be nice to have a new minivan. And we had a minivan. But it was like, I, I, that's what I said. And, you know, a few people laughed and whatever. But this guy was dead earnest. Like he was just like, no, I'm serious. Like I thought, well, if this God's speaking to this guy about us, see what a cynic I am? I am a terrible cynic. God has had to prove himself again and again for me to believe. Anyhow, if this guy is really hearing from God for us, then I suppose I should take it seriously. So what does that mean? And I thought, the only thing I know of that is sort of like a question mark over our finances right now is that I felt God nudged me to go to Africa, and I know I don't have that money. So I said, yeah, okay, well, if this is God, then I said, I need money to go to Africa. He said, how much does that cost? And I hadn't priced it out. So it was a little embarrassing, so I just said, I don't know three or four thousand bucks. He says, okay, I'll give you five thousand dollars from our church's budget. My immediate thought was, how does this guy run his church? 
I wouldn't do that. It seems fairly irresponsible. Like, what kind of crazy setup is that? Anyhow, anyhow, then he went on, spoke his message, and then afterwards came back and said, okay, I need to get your names. We wrote down our names, and this is your, and your phone number and address, so I wrote that down and gave it to him. And then the guy took off, the end of the weekend was over, and I was like, will we ever hear from that guy again? The guy who said he's going to give us $5,000 from his church budget? Well, next week I get a phone call, and it's the office administrator of this church in, in Edmonton. She says, um, uh, you're Steve Atkins? Yeah. This is your right address? Yeah. Said, okay, we're going to send you a check. I said, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Do you need me to, like, uh, tell you about myself or my, what I'm hoping to do in Africa or anything? No, sir, I just need your address. Oh, okay. What a crazy church they're running there. I don't know what's going on. So anyhow, a week later, I got a, church for, I got a check for $5,000. I'm looking at this check, and I'm like, so I phoned my friend Daniel, who runs an aid and development agency in Burkina Faso. I phoned him and said, I'm coming to Africa. You are? I said, yeah, God's sending me. Okay, we're going in November. So anyhow. So I go to Africa, and uh, I come home from Africa, and uh, there's lots more in that story, but I won't tell it all. I come home, and I'm going, well, what else does God want me to do? I mean, I really want to go to India, too. So, <laughs> anyhow, I pray, and God doesn't say go to India. That would be just my own thoughts. But, but um, then the next thing I get that sort of seems like I should act on is, like, I should give a 1000 bucks to uh, planting churches in Canada because they were raising funds for that at the time. So, write it on the whiteboard. My wife comes by, 1000 bucks. Where are we going to get that? I said, I don't know. So I go to Quiznos one day for my lunch. I walk outside the lunch. Minivan pulls up. It's a mom from the church. She rolls down the window. She goes, my husband got some back pay from like a union settlement. We prayed about it. We feel we should give this to you. Hands me an envelope with cash in it. Now, I don't do this all the time, just in case you're wondering. And I did feel a little bit weird, and she just drives away. And I'm like, okay, did anyone see that transaction? Because this looks fishy. (laughs) So I open the envelope, and it's, you know, $50 bills. It's 1000 bucks exactly. So I'm like, God, this is amazing. So I, I, I hang on to that. Again, it's like I didn't do my homework. It took me a while to sort of get around to finally giving it, and I hadn't given it. And um, I just had it in my bank account, and I travel to Calgary. I'm in a church service, and they are also raising money for the exact same thing, to plant churches in Canada. And so... Guy gets up and does the announcements before the offering, and he says, yeah, in our church, we, we have three businessmen who've agreed that whatever people give from this church, each one of them will match it, times three. And then um, there's, like, a super rich guy uh, living out in Vancouver area, and he'll um, match whatever comes out of that. So I did the math in my head. I said, so if whatever I give, it's times three, and then it's times two, it's time, times six. And I was like, where's the nearest ATM? So I ran out of the church down to a, um, a gas station just close by. I got to the ATM. It let me take out 600 Then it let me take out 300 And then that was the limit. So I had 900 of the 1000 I ran back to the church, like running full-on sprinting because the offering was happening. And I'm run full back. And I get back in, and I, I grab an offering envelope. And I take, it's all in $20 bills. It's 920s. Anyway, stuffing it into an offering envelope, and then it w- I'm licking it and trying to shut it. It won't shut. So I actually go into the men's washroom. I put the thing on the floor, and I just go, stamp, stamp, stamp. And now it's flat. And I pick it up. I lick it and shut. And then I walk out, and the off- offering guys are just going into the room where they count it, and I go, boom. And then I walk into the church service and bawl my eyes out. And just cry, cry, cry. It's like, okay, I had nothing, and you gave me 1000 and uh, that 900 just turned into 5,400. Uh, uh, 5, and I guess I'll give the extra 100. That'll make 5,500. And what's going on, God? What is this? This is amazing. I bought the whole rest of the service. And there were some friends. We go for lunch afterwards. And they do what I know nobody from Hillcrest does this. But they methodically pick apart the service, the worship, the message, everything. And, and they say, what do you think of the service? I said, it was amazing. They said, it was amazing? What was the amazing part? The offering. <laughs> like, the offering was amazing? I'm like, I can't even describe it. Like, I can't describe I said, it was one of the greatest spiritual moments of my life. They're like, what? <laughs> You're crazy. Anyhow, I come, to, I come back from, from that, and 
I go to one more conference, and this conference is where they're taking up the very final offering to raise this money for planting churches in Canada. And uh, I've told this story to uh, the president of our uh, network of churches, and he says, I want you to get up and just tell that story to everyone. So I said, you want me to tell my crazy story? Okay, so I tell my crazy story in front of all these pastors. And then afterwards, it's like, um, we go back to the bench, and, and then it's like, well, let's pray one more time. Like, what does God want us to give? And so I'm like, I, I pray again. And, and um, in the end, I thought, okay, I think maybe I'm supposed to give $3,000. So I, I wrote a pledge that I'd give $3,000. And uh, then I'm like, you know, so I'm on this roll. So I'm like, yeah, like, I, I don't ever have to pay for these things. It's just God provides. This is awesome, right? That's not how it went. That's not how it went. It took me two years to pay $3,000. We had to live sacrificially to do it. And I, at first I was like, what, did I miss God on this? Or did I? And then I realized, oh, no, this is actually sort of the normal how you give. <laughs> this is normal. This is normal giving. And God wants me to experience sacrificial giving as well as miraculous provision. And so it's just like one more thing. It's, so I look back on it, and I'm like, what was God doing? What wasn't he doing? What wasn't he doing? Giving me a global heart by sending me to Africa, showing me he could provide in miraculous ways by all these different ways. Um, he, was, he was teaching me to pray in advance so that I'm ready for God's provision so I don't just spend it on a big screen TV or some other toy. He was, he was uh, giving me a platform so I could talk about God providing thousands to people who had checkbooks who could give hundreds of thousands. He was uh, teaching me how to give sacrificially. He's probably doing about 100 things, and I probably can trace out eight. He's just moving the chess pieces. He's just moving the chess pieces. For our good, for his glory, for others' eternal joy. He's just moving the chess pieces. And every now and again, well, not every now and again, I think he wants us to be in a consistent relationship with him so that we can be part of the game. So we can be part of what he is up to in this world. So the question I I have for you is, do you want to be led by God? Do you want him to guide and direct you? Do you want his will for your life? God stands willing to guide and direct his people. Again, back to Jesus. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. He knows you. He knows you. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I mean, if you're following Jesus, if you're listening to Jesus, you're guided and directed by Jesus, you're going to end up in some interesting adventures. You're going to end up in territory where you say, I would never be here on my own. I would never be walking in this on my own. This isn't just add up to what Steve can do. This is Steve plus a living God. And it's a totally different equation. Would you stand? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would you'd search our hearts. Lord, if there's any resistance in us from following you, from... Um, embracing your will for our lives, would you point that out to us? Would you show us the ways in which we've got our foot on the brakes with you and that we're not open to where you want to take us and what you want to do with us and how you want to use us? Lord, I pray that you would mercifully give us uh, grace in our lives to take our foot off the brake Take your hands off the steering wheel and let you you direct and you guide. And you take us to where you want us to go. Thank you that you do want to direct us. You are willing to guide us. You will give us wisdom if we're really willing to receive it.
So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I, I know that there's so much distraction. There's so much busyness. There's so much things that draw us away from just being in your presence and inquiring of you and waiting patiently, open to receive. But, God, we want to have that posture before you. We want to have that posture before you that we're yours. Use us as you will. Direct us any which way you want. And we stand ready to obey. So, God, we just surrender again. Thank you that there isn't a part of us you won't receive when we offer ourselves to you. You know all the things that need correcting and fixing, and you don't overwhelm us with laying a list down in front of us, but you guide and direct one step at a time. And so, Lord, we want to take that one step at a time relational walk with you where you're the one guiding the tour. You're the one leading the way. And so we just want to say we're listening. We're listening. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here there today and they just need specific direction in an area. They lack wisdom. They're willing to admit that. And they're asking you, Lord, would you speak? Would you make it clear? I pray for nothing confusing or, or, or self deceit. I pray for clarity from you. Thank you, Lord, that we can ask. And thank you that you promise that you will guide and direct. We love you.